English hospitals have said the vast majority were unsafe. A senior congressman has said the American public is losing confidence in the government's response to Ebola after two nurses became infected. BBC News. Read by Zeb Soans. We'll be eavesdropping on two guards who really should be paying more attention as we begin a new run of John Finnamore's souvenir programme in a moment. There's a visitor at Brookfield in the Archers at 7. Then at 7.15, John Wilson will be here with Front Row. Actress Gillian Anderson tells me why, having put the X-Files way behind her, she's co-written a sci-fi novel. She discusses the return of Murder Hunt series The Fall and reveals how she suffers theatrical stage fright. It has been, until now, a real love-hate relationship for me and I've had panic attacks and etc. Before you go on stage, how does that manifest No, actually, on, on stage. Mid-performance? Yes, yeah. When did yeah, that happen? Not fun. In what, Everything. Pretty much everything that I've ever done. Really? Yeah. And and you get through it. You just have, I mean, one has to. It's living hell. Gillian Anderson talking to me, John Wilson, on Front Row this evening at 7.15. But now John Finnamore returns with a fourth series of his award-winning sketch show. This is John Finnamore's Souvenir Programme. So, you wanted to see how we're suddenly getting the best exam results in the county? I certainly do, yes. Well, uh, I'll show you. It's, it's actually an idea I came up with after an evening in the pub. Really? That, that doesn't yeah, sound... Have a look. Meanwhile, of course, he is still... Yes? Uh, uh, excuse us, Mrs Phillips, please just carry on. Oh, all right. Uh, yes, as I was saying, class, meanwhile, Mr Hanshaw is still trying to keep his affair with his teaching assistant going, even though the whole staff room knows she's fed up with him and is trying to move on to Mr Oakes, although good luck with that, because we're 90% sure he's gay. <laughs> and, of course, Mrs Simpson... Is, is, she, is she talking about the staff? Hmm? Oh, uh, she might be, I don't know. We let them talk about whatever they like now. As you can see, the students aren't listening. <laughs> no, they're not. This is what I learned from that pub. You see up there, in the corner... A uh, television. A small, muted television. <laughs> showing a subtitled Open University lecture from 1986 <laughs> about how to solve quadratic equations. They can't take their eyes off it. No one ever can. <laughs> Absolutely inspired. Hmm? Sorry? <laughs> Nothing. Pelican is in the roost. Repeat, Pelican is in the roost. Do you copy? Of course I copy. Just say copy. I'm right here. I know. <laughs> I saw Pelican go in the roost. Just say copy. Or the PM go into the house. Shush! <laughs> what are you worried about? And someone's going to work out who we're bodyguarding. We are standing outside 10 Downing Street. That's got to be a clue. I, I've had it up to here with you. I really have. Don't talk to me, then. I won't. So, right, if someone ran up now and shot at the PM... Pelican. Fine, Pelican. <laughs> if someone shot at the Pelican... Not the Pelican. It's just Pelican. OK. He's not a Batman villain. <laughs> no, and he's not a Pelican, either. Look... All right, what, what, what did you want to ask? Right, so, if someone ran up and shot at him, it, whatever... Yeah. Right? Yeah, would you sort of jump in front of him? Well, yeah, of course I would. That's, that's our whole job. Ah, OK. Good. <laughs> Why, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, of course I would, yeah. Right. It's just... 
Useful to know you definitely would. <laughs> what? Are, are you not going to now? Oh, no, no, yeah, I am. I am. But if I don't get there in time, it's good to know that you will. <laughs> I might not. You just said you would. I won't if you don't. You won't have time to think. You have to just jump. I know. Well, I will. Good. So will I. Good. You know, if there's a hail of bullets... What? No, no, no. <laughs> e- even if there's just one bullet. Well, if there's one bullet, and I know you're definitely going to, I mean, it'd be sort of a waste. No, it wouldn't be a waste. It's your job. Well, it's my job to jump in front of him. It's not my job to jump in front of you. I'm not your bodyguard. <laughs> and I'm not your bodyguard. Well, we could call for it, like in cricket... Mine! Under what circumstances are you going to see a speeding bullet and shout, Mine! And mine? You won't! Okay, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. If anyone comes at him with a gun, you jump. If they come at him with a knife, I'll jump. Oh, no, no, how come? You get the knife guy. Well, I thought of it. But I'm senior. All the more reason you should take gun guy. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. Hey, senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pigeons landed on the porch. What, Banky Moon? (laughs) <laughs> oh, look. Oh, oh, hey, shoot! Hey, you shoot, shoot! Oh, yeah. Very brave with pigeons. <laughs> oh, look out. What? That worm. It's got something in it. Might be a hook. Oh, right. Still, though. Shame to waste a nice worm like that. I think I might just... Don't! You don't want to get caught, do you? Well, the thing is... I don't want to boast, but as a matter of fact, I'm not scared of getting caught. Aren't you? No. Why not? I've actually been caught already. But you can't have been. Yeah, I have, yeah. Last year it was. But you're still here. Yeah. I made him put me back. (laughs) Never. Yeah. True as I'm floating here. How'd you do that then? Well, I bided my time, let him pull me in. Waited until he was actually holding me in his fins. Yeah. Yeah. And then? And then I gave him one of my looks. (laughs) One of your looks? Yeah, yeah. Like this. (laughs) What it was saying was, you don't know what you're getting yourself into here, Sonny Jim. Now you just throw me gently back into the water and you'll save yourself a world of pain. Right. I don't think I got all that from it. Well, he did. Because as soon as he saw that look, he sort of tutted to himself, like he was disappointed I was so scary. (laughs) And then he threw me back. So, yeah, frankly, I'll eat the worm if I fancy it, hook or no hook. But but maybe the next human you meet won't be so easily frightened. Oh, I think they will. You see, like I say, that happened a year ago. And if they were scared of me then... Imagine how terrified they'll be now I'm nearly twice as big! (laughs) Welcome back to the Tangiers Casino, where you join us for what promises to be one of the tensest and most exciting final tables in recent years. On Saturday, over 3,000 hopeful entrants came to Las Vegas from all over the world. Today, just two remain. Serpa Lippinen, the young prodigy from Finland, goes head-to-head with the old master himself, Billy Horslips Hackman, to discover who will be this year's world champion of... Snap. (laughs) 
and I am joined in the box by none other than the great British master of snap through the 80s and 90s, Callum Brown. Callum, who do you like for this? Great to be here, Pete. Well, you can never ride off horse clips. I mean, the guy's a legend in snap halls and snap lounges across the world. But I have to say, I've been watching Serpa's games in the Nordic League and her ability to spot that two cars at the same time, and crucially, <laughs> to say so very quickly, it's right up over the giants of snap. Well, then it should be a great match, and the uh, croupier has dealt the cards. Hackman's won the toss and has elected to play first. Always a power play, that. Very much what we'd expect from Hall Slips. Yep, uh, and the card is down. It's, uh, it's a ten. It's a ten. What do you make of that, Cal? Well, you know, at this stage of the game, it's just very hard to tell. <laughs> Obviously, there's nothing down on the table yet for it to be the same as, so really, it's just a question of what the next card will be and whether it will be the same as a ten. Young Finn is responding now and she's playing it looks like a four. Yes, it's a four. Well, it's a good card, but it's not the same as a ten. <laughs> and straight away, Horselips has responded with a jack, which is also not the same as a ten. It's not the same as a ten, no, but more to the point, it's not the same as a four. Fair enough. Uh, and now Lippinen replies with a four, and oh, oh, correct me if I'm wrong, Cal, but that is the same as a four. You're not wrong, but the game's moved on now, Pete. Uh, and the real question is, the real question is whether or not it's the same as a jack, which it's not. <laughs> You're right, of course. Well, now uh, Horsliffs is taking his time considering his next play. Cal, back in your playing days, what would you be thinking of playing now? Well, you know, I'd so- <laughs> I think, Pete, I'd have to say I'd certainly be hoping to play another four but ultimately what I think I would play would be the next card in my hand. <laughs> Indeed, he is playing the next card in his hand, and it's an eight. And I know this is a red eight. Is that significant, Cal? No, it's not. OK. <laughs> and uh, and coming back quickly with what looks like an eight. No! Oh, and look at that, it was an eight. It was an eight. They both caught it. They're both saying it's the same as the eight that was just played. And they're absolutely right. It's a perfect snap, good as any I've ever seen. I mean, surely the referees... Oh! Yes, he's allowed it, and it sounded to me like Lippinen claimed it fractionally quicker, but let's look at the replay. There you go, Pete. I mean, no doubt about it at all. It's Serpa's cool. She got the whole S and most of the N out before Horsey's even <laughs> Yeah, and the refs awarded it, but you've got to say an incredible display from both players. Absolutely. This is beautiful, Snap. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the, the players are retiring now for dinner and massages. <laughs> but be sure to join us back here at 10 for round two. And in the meantime, it's over to Lynn at the Rolls Bowl Stadium for more from the World Series of Boggle. So... Who's the best person you've ever bodyguarded? (laughs) I'm not telling you. Can't or won't? I didn't say can't or won't. I just said not. But as it happens, it's both. It's classified information. Go on. I'll tell you mine. Well, firstly, you won't, because if you did, I'd report you for breaking the Official Secrets Act. And secondly, you don't need to. I know your best person is the Prime Minister because you're doing it right now. Well, he's probably your best as well, then. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Go on. You can tell me. Oh, I can tell you, can I? I can't tell my own wife, but I can tell you. You're not married, though, are you? You know very well I'm not married. But you said you couldn't tell your wife. My hypothetical wife. <laughs> oh, 
You've got a hypothetical wife. For the purposes of that argument. What's she like? <laughs> Is she lovely? Are you being cheeky, lad? What, no. Was it cheeky to ask if your wife's lovely? My hypothetical wife. Is hypothetically lovely, yeah. It's cheeky. Well, I don't see why. I, I don't mean, like, sexy lovely. I just mean, like, nice person sort of lovely. But she might be sexy lovely as well. She is not lovely. She's not lovely. You've got a hypothetical wife and she's not lovely. That is the most Scottish thing I've ever heard. She's not anything. She's hypothetical. What? Yeah, but what, what I'm saying is you wouldn't have a hypothetical wife. It was horrible, would you? You might do. It all depends on the hypothesis you were attempting to posit. Ooh, posit. For instance, if you were examining under what circumstances you would kill your wife, then you'd make her hypothetically as horrible as possible, would you not? So what circumstances would you then? Would I what? Kill your wife. <laughs> and, under no circumstances whatsoever. But what if she was really, really horrible? She's not horrible, she's lovely! Ah, knew it! <laughs> the world is full of evil Of that there is no doubt Some say that we should fight it Or try to sort it out But that way leaves you tired Frustrated and depressed so we three have some other ways we'd each like to suggest. Like to suggest. <laughs> now, this is what I do. 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 If you agree that life is grim, then be like me. Yes, be like him. I take my paws. Why not take yours? And I apply to either eye. And, and although some don't think it wise to, to simply cover up your eyes, it's certainly working for me. I see no evil. And if he sees no evil, maybe there's no evil to see. Now this is what I do. 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 If you agree, if you concur, then be like me. Yes, be like her. I place my paws. Why not place yours? Over each ear. She cannot hear. And, and although some may waste their breath, persuading you not to lay deaf, I find it's made everything clear. I hear no evil. And if she hears no evil, maybe there's no evil to hear. Now here's what he does. Here's what he does. Here's what he does. Here's what he does. That life is grim. Yes, be like him. Why not hold yours? It's north and south, and although some may say it's weak to sacrifice your right to speak. And if he says no evil, maybe there's no evil to say. So, in conclusion, in conclusion, in conclusion. In conclusion, if you agree that things are thus, then be like we. Yes, be like us, come take our paws. Join them with yours, be monkeys too. Without a clue, and, and although some may disagree, you will not hear. You will not see. It's certainly working for us. We hear no evil, and if we hear no evil, maybe there's no evil. I don't see any evil. I can't hear any evil to discuss.
evening. I am the ghost of Emmeline Pankhurst, and this is the ghost of a soldier who died in World War II. I've got a name, Emmeline. Yes, but no one will recognise it. It's Albert. <laughs> All right. This is Albert, who died in the Second World War fighting the Nazis. All of them. But quite a lot of them. Yes. And this is just a quick haunting to correct a little misapprehension that seems to have arisen. Oh, yes. The thing is, Emmy and me, we don't mind if you don't vote. No. <laughs> Not at all. We did what we did so that you would be free to vote, not so that you had to. That's right. Now, personally, we both really wanted to be able to vote. Well, well I did. Did you, Albert? Ah, uh, sort of. I mean, mainly what I wanted was for the war to end before I died in it. But, <laughs> yeah, voting's good too. But if you don't want to vote, or can't be bothered to find out about what you're voting on, or who the candidates are, give it a miss. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine by us. When people say that it doesn't matter who you vote for, so long as you vote, they're getting that sort of unbelievably the wrong way round. <laughs> it matters loads who you vote for. That is the whole point. I didn't throw myself under a racehorse just to make you walk to the polling station against your will. You didn't throw yourself under a racehorse at all. I know, that's what I said. Oh, right. <laughs> so, yeah, when you have a chance to vote, inform yourself about what's going on, come to a decision, and then, by all means, vote your socks off. But otherwise, otherwise it's fine not to bother. Remember, it's not the voting that counts, it's the thinking about whom to vote for. Yes. And in conclusion... Ooh. Albert, I said no wooing! Spoil spot. Ah, uh, Zeus. Hades, what can I do for you? The answer, of course, being literally anything I like. Ha ha ha! Ha 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 ha. You have a minute, Zeus. I have all of time and space at my command, so yes. Good. Um, well, it's about uh, Sisyphus, the mortal king, uh, that you condemn to eternal suffering in my underworld. Oh, yes. So how's he getting on? Uh, very well. Good, good. No, no, I mean too well. He's enjoying it. Really? Are you sure? Sounds pretty ghastly to me. Well, see for yourself. <laughs> Morning, Sisyphus. Oh, morning, Tantalus. How are you? Oh, you know, thirsty. <laughs> you? Oh, pretty good, thanks. I think today's going to be the day, you know. I, I've worked out a new grip for the shale, a bit of stage 19, and I reckon it's going to save me a quarter of a percent energy. That should just do it. Oh, well, well best of luck. You're looking good, anyway. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, I'll say this for continual uphill boulder pushing. It's great for the quads and delts. <laughs> You see, Zeus, when he, when he gets up in the morning, he has a clearly defined task, which he's good at, and which he so nearly achieved last time that he has hope for this time. Yeah, yes, but what about when it rolls away? Imagine the frustration and despair. Well, have a look. Really? There. Just one more. Oh, no. Oh, no. Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. I know what I did wrong. I used my shoulders at stage 61. Tomorrow, I should just try using my core strength there and saving my shoulders for the end. Oh, well, nothing more I can do today. <sighs> I'm tired. <laughs> you see, he's disappointed, but his task has an enforced end. He's pleasantly worn out, and he ends the day on the top of a mountain with a lovely view, and I noticed some fermenting grapevines, which I certainly didn't put there. <laughs> 
Yes, I seem to have accidentally created the perfect conditions for human contentment in my punishment. Whoops, silly me. Never mind. Zeus is pleased to be merciful. Let him continue. Uh, yes, just mm. one thing, though. Uh, every day, of course, he gets a tiny bit fitter. So, in order to make sure the boulder rolls away precisely at the summit, I have to compensate for that by rising before him in the morning and making the mountain a tiny bit taller. (laughs) Oh dear, that doesn't sound fun at all. It's not fun, no. That sounds like an eternally boring and repetitive chore with no satisfaction. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Still, I'm sure you'll get used to it. That's what eternity is for. Oh, I see. Hmm? Sisyphus is in heaven. Maybe a bit. This is my punishment. There we go. Rather neat, isn't it? Excuse me. How much is this? Uh, How much is what? This colouring book. How much? Well, this is a pound shop, madam. (laughs) Oh, right. So it's a pound? No. Why does everyone always say that? It's a pound shop. Everything here is sold by the pound. What? Look, a pound of sugar, a pound of screwdrivers, a pound of panini stickers. Anything you like, so long as there's a pound of it. It's a fairly simple concept. So so how much is a colouring book? Have you not been listening? You can't buy a colouring book. You can buy a pound of colouring books, uh, which is, uh, give them here, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, that's a bit over. There you go. (laughs) Eight and a half colouring books to the pound. And I'll be 17 quid, please. I don't want eight and a half colouring books. I only want one. Well, then I can't help you, I'm afraid. Oh. You could always try the 99p shop next door. Oh. Thank you. But of course, he mainly sells vegetables in very specific amounts. <laughs> you know what I'd like to be? Quiet. <laughs> I'd like to be guardsman. You would not. Oh, come on, Sarge. Guarding the Queen? That's got to be the best job. The Queen is a powerless figurehead. Well, yeah, but everyone likes the Queen. If you stop the Queen being shot at, you'd be a hero. If you did it for the PM, at least half the people would be disappointed. <laughs> this, this is a pointless conversation. You get much worse gun for a staff. No, that can't be right. Guardsmen are in the army. They must have the best guns. <laughs> Do you know what they have? S-A-A-T's. I wouldn't give that gun to a five-year-old. No, nor would I. <laughs> no, I, I mean I wouldn't give that gun to a five-year-old if I wanted the five-year-old to kill someone with it. Why would you... Oh, oh, maybe I would give it to a five-year-old because they'd be quite safe with it, I can assure you of that. It's really weird when you try and make jokes. <laughs> Don't be cheeky. I'm actually regarded in my circle as quite humorous. Is that what they said, though? Or did they say you were a bit funny? The, the less of that. The less of that hedges. I'm impressed you've got a circle, though. Are you trying to wind me up? Yeah. Well, you're not succeeding. Oh, come on, I am a bit. You are not. Now, now, obviously I knew what you meant. Your, your social circle, your, your circle of friends that you have. Yes. Yeah. You know, so when you get home and you kick off your shoes and you say... More recommended for some social discourse. <laughs> Summon the circle. 
Oh, hey, says Morag. I'm not married. <laughs> Didn't say you were. Morag is your faithful housekeeper. She is not. Well, who is she then? She's... She, she's not anyone. You just made her up. Well, whoever she is, she goes off to summon a circle, perhaps by shining a symbol against a cloudy night sky. Will you just be quiet? <laughs> what would that symbol be, I wonder? Shush! Square, maybe? I'm, I'm not listening. Triangle. <laughs> Hexagon. A circle! It would obviously be a circle. See, I told you. No, I am just saying if well, they're... I am winding you up. Well, since you ask me for a story of honour, satisfied and a duel to the death, it so happens there does repose within my reliquy of anecdotage a chronicle of some such sort as... I, I mean, here's one. <laughs> it was a pleasant spring day, and uh, I was sitting in the club room, eating a club sandwich and nursing my club foot, when <laughs> I became aware of two voices raised in anger. The loudest belonged to Sir Winner Stopdolphin the renowned big game hunter, widely regarded as the finest shot in England. He it was who had famously shot three tigers with the same bullet after tricking them into putting their heads together for a photograph. <laughs> he it also was who, on an expedition to the Amazon, had simultaneously discovered, documented, and wiped out three hitherto unknown species of parrot. Sarah, you have wronged me, and I demand satisfaction. Quoth he, speaking to young Lord Scroby, youngest and wildest son of the Duke of Hazard. <laughs> a man of whom it was rumoured that he had once got all three Brontes pregnant with the same child. <laughs> Gentlemen, I interposed, whatever is the cause of such unpleasantness? Not that it's any affair of yours, Fenimore, but I surprised this man with my wife. Well, to be fair, she is quite surprising. <laughs> being rather surprised by her myself. No, sir, I surprised them in the woods, which in turn surprised me. It was all very surprising. <laughs> and then, to add insult to injury, the young bandit escaped on my horse. But I brought it back, didn't I? It makes no difference. I don't like when other people borrow my horse. They always leave it set up all wrong, with the <laughs> fetlocks too high and the withers too far forward. Don't tomorrow, I say. Come, my lord, I said to Scroby. Honour dictates that you answer such a challenge. Are you a coward? In a moment, his face flushed with fury. You dare call me a coward? He cried. Pinamal, I demand satisfaction for that insult. Pinamal's Hill at dawn tomorrow. What? No, I have no wish to fight you. I, I merely want you to fight him. Oh, I see your little game, Scroby. Sneered, stop, Dolphin. You dare not fight me, but you seek to hide your shame by dueling with Finnamore, whom everyone knows is the worst shot in the club. <laughs> well, this was an insult no Finnamore could let pass. <laughs> or at least not the Finnamore I am, which is me. <laughs> Sir, cried I, I demand satisfaction. Primrose Hill tomorrow at dawn. I don't want to fight you, you fool. I only want to fight this insolent puppy who's run my wife and bottled my horse. And I don't want to fight you, only Finnamore, who has called me a coward and has a stupid face. <laughs> Beg your pardon, sirs. Broke in the club steward. But it seems to me there's an obvious way out of this. And so it was that the next day, when dawn broke on Primrose Hill, it saw what I believe to be the world's first triangular duel. <laughs> I stood facing Sir Winnish, who stood facing Lord Scroby, who stood facing me. So, gentlemen, said the steward, who had agreed to serve as referee and disposer of corpses. You understand, when I drop this handkerchief, you will each fire at the man you're cross with, who will in turn be firing at the man who is cross with you. On my count, ready, set, 
Wait! cried Lord Scobie. Sir Winnish, I have something to say. I was wrong to steal your wife and to borrow your horse, and I handsomely apologise. Oh, well, when you put it like that. Very well, my boy, let bygones be bygones. I shall shoot to miss. Very well, then, gentlemen, on my couch. No, no, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Something amiss, Finnamore? Well, yes, obviously, that's not fair. You're shooting at me and no one's shooting at you. Our quarrel is a private affair, sir. Not for me, it isn't. You can't just not shoot at him. You're the best shot in England. I naturally assumed you would shoot him before he could shoot me. It's not <laughs> sporting to change your mind now. Not sporting? No! You, sir, accuse me of being unsportsmanlike? <laughs> I, I simply... You don't... insult me, sir, I demand satisfaction! No, no. And so it was arranged... On the count of three, they would both shoot at me, and I could shoot at whichever of them I liked. And yet, you will observe, I am still here to tell the tale. How did I escape my certain doom? Well, there is no shame in learning from the best. In honour of this historic occasion, I invited the three of them to pose for a photograph. John Finnamore's souvenir programme was written and performed by John Finnamore with Michael K. Bourne Smith, Simon Kane, Laurie Lewin, and Carrie Quinlan. Original music was by Susanna Pierce and Sally Stairs. The producer was Ed Norrish. The Sisyphus sketch was based on an original idea by Albert Camus. You're listening, you may not be entirely surprised to learn, to Radio 4. To where John and his souvenir programmers will return at the same time next week. A day in the life of a small Welsh fishing village. The town's as full as a lovebird's egg. Hey, goes the reverend, says Mr. Waldo at the smoked herring brown window of the unwashed sailor's arms. Dylan Thomas's Under Milk Wood. Up every night until midnight, playing the organ. Oh, I'm a martyr to music. The 2003 recording of Under Milk Wood with Richard Burton's 1963 narration on BBC Radio 4 this Saturday afternoon at half past two.